Please keep your Bibles open as we go through our passage today. Uh, We'll be focusing in on uh, verses uh, 7 to 12. Um, Can I just get that link back up, Wilson? Uh, William, sorry. Um, So, trying to get um, a system that actually works. Uh, So, this is going to be a um, permanent address, so you just bookmark it and it'll be the same every week. Um, and hopefully it'll save us any technical headaches. Um, but as we've, uh, we've been doing the last few weeks, if you have any questions at any point, shoot them through so you're not constantly thinking about them until I ask. Um, and then when, you have a ch- when I have a chance, um, I'll uh, try and answer those questions. Um, before we begin... Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come now to your word. And as we hear the rain outside, as we see the water soak into the ground and life, we pray that your word by your Holy Spirit will rain down into our hearts, that it will soak into the, the ground of our hearts, and that it will bring life. So as we come to your word, Father, I ask that you will be here by your spirit and that it will be you who speaks and not me. And I pray that our time now uh, would help us to know you, to understand you, and to love you and to serve you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Who's seen Undercover Boss? Let's see if we can get this working. It's on. Anyway, oh, there we go. Who's seen Undercover Boss? No? Okay. Uh, so, if you don't know what Undercover Boss is, it's a TV show where a company boss or executive uh, works undercover uh, in their own company to see how things are going at at the, the bottom end, uh, to see what life in the company really is like. Uh, so imagine Elon Musk at Tesla working on the production line. It's kind of like that. Uh, at the end of the episode, uh, the undercover boss is revealed uh, with great surprise and often because people are surprised that they would actually come and work alongside them. Um, imagine going to school and seeing your principal or the vice-chancellor at uni cleaning the toilets. Imagine going to work and your manager comes to you and says, can I run any errands for you? Can I make you a coffee? Can I do any jobs for you? (laughs) Imagine a government that actually governs and serves her people. But I digress. Seriously, though, we should be praying for them, uh, and they could really do with it now, right now. Imagine a church where people love and serve each other rather than making life difficult for each other. One of the privileges I have as a pastor is uh, at this church is that I can serve without worrying about how I'm going to look after my family. Uh, put food on the table, have a roof over my head, 
buy the kids toys that they don't need. I get paid. I don't have that worry. That's one of the privileges that I have. And we see in our passage that Paul, as an apostle of Christ, could have made demands on the Thessalonian church. Verse 6. Could have made demands on the Thessalonian church. But as he goes on to preach the gospel and make disciples of Jesus, even though he had this right to rely on God's people to provide for him, he doesn't. He doesn't want to be a burden to the church. As Christians, as messengers of the gospel, we want people to meet Jesus. We want people to put their faith and trust in him. But the gospel message is not meant to be a burden to people. It is something that is meant to bring freedom. So how do we do that? As we share our lives with people, rather than being a burden, we are driven by deep compassion, affection of love and care, sacrificial service each and every day. Now I do want to say this as a disclaimer, as a preface. I know most people don't want to be a burden to others. I think that's fair to say. But I think we also need to recognize that there are times in life, there are seasons in life where we need to allow others to help and serve us. We're not being a burden to them. Simply that our situation, our circumstances in life require and allow others to serve us. There's a difference between a burden and a difference to actually needing help, genuine help in times of need. So I just want to say that as we begin. So rather than demanding the rights of an apostle, Paul picks up in verse 7, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her children, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had very dear to us. Depending on your Bible, there might be a slight difference in translation there. It might say young children instead of gentle. Uh, If you want to understand what that's all about, come ask me. But the point is still more or less the same. Instead of demanding his rights as an apostle, Paul demonstrates gentleness. If you like, he's like a child. Gentleness and affection for the church, for the Thessalonian church. He's gentle like a mother with her children, And he goes so far to share themselves, himself, with the believers. As we seek to live out the gospel, we want to be a people motivated by the love of God. Now, when we talk about this kind of love, it's not the kind of love that's an emotion or a feeling that we have. But it's something that stirs deep inside our spirit. We read uh, of Jesus in Matthew uh, chapter 9. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. This compassion is something that stirs from inside. The the word compassion uh, has this picture of your gut stirring. And and that's the sense that we have here, that when we have our love of God for people, when we have compassion for people, it's not an emotion, it's not a feeling, it's something that stirs from deep inside us. Paul uses the example of a mother's love for her children. And in Paul's day, uh, a family might have a nurse who would help raise uh, their children, uh, and she would love and care for them. 
But Paul talks about the difference of love when she would care for her own children. A mother will treat her own children different to children of who she's paid to look after. About two weeks ago in Argentina, uh, a police officer was working her shift at a children's hospital uh, when a malnourished child was brought in and was just crying uh, and nothing would settle the child. Uh, Celeste, her name, uh, she's a mother of three girls, asked if she could nurse the child. Uh, And she ended up breastfeeding him uh, and uh, settled him and and cared for him in that way. And um, her colleague posted this on Facebook. Without knowing him, you treated him as if you were his mother. This love and compassion drives Jesus to heal the sick, to feed the 5,000 plus and ultimately to die on the cross for the sins of the people of this world, for you and me. 1 John 3 says this, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. But if anyone has the world's good and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children. Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Do we have this kind of love and care for people? And honestly, this this kind of love only comes from God. As the reality, as the good news of the gospel of Jesus sinks deeper into our heart and spirit, this is the kind of love that spills out. This is the kind of love that overflows. And it's this kind of love that drives us to share the gospel with people. Not just the gospel, but our lives. We share our lives with them. And I want to be, and I want this church to be, the kind of place, the kind of people marked by this kind of love. Hearts filled with gentleness, affectionate love, and compassion to share our lives with the people of our community, our church family, and the world. Not only so they would hear the good news and see the need for Jesus, but so that we would share our lives with them. I'll open it up to questions. Well, let's move on then. Uh, so, as we saw in First John 3, we don't simply want to love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Pick up in verse 9. For you remember, brothers and sisters, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. Oops, that's 9 and 10. Yep. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteousness, how righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. Paul doesn't demand the rights that he has as a gospel worker, but instead he doesn't want to be a burden to anyone. He doesn't want there to be any barriers to people hearing the gospel of God. Instead he wants to give them every advantage, every opportunity to hear the gospel. 
And as I was preparing, I was reminded this week that sharing the gospel is not just about sharing the message, but it is sharing our whole being, completely committed to a gospel message. So that demands all of our being to communicate that. Anyone who would hear. Just as Paul says, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own souls. Genuine Christian gospel living and testimony is costly. Genuine Christian gospel living and testimony is costly. It's not simply speaking the words of the gospel. It's not simply telling people about Jesus, but demonstrating that with our own lives, our very being, our every thought, our every emotion, our every word, our every deed is directed towards communicating the truth of the gospel. It's costly and it's inconvenient, but it's also an amazing blessing and joy. During Jesus' final days uh, before going to his death on the cross, during the Last Supper, uh, he washes the disciples' feet. Uh, turn with me to John 13, uh, if you've got your Bibles there. John 13. So Jesus is washing his disciples' feet. Um, and we're going to pick up in verse 12. John 13, verse 12. When he had washed their feet... And put on his outer garments and resumed his place. He said to them, do you understand what I have done for you? Call me teacher and Lord and you are right for I am so. If I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. A little while back, I read a story about a Chinese pastor, Pastor Wang, uh, who wanted to share the gospel uh, in his local town, village, um, to factory workers. But the only way that he could do this was to be employed by the factory. And so he and his students uh, were employed by the factory for three years and they would be working 12-hour days and eventually, through that time, had the opportunity over those years to share the gospel and their lives with these factory workers. They ended up planting a church in that district. He looked for ways to create opportunities to share the gospel in creative ways. And I know that most of you here uh, give your time, your gifts, even your money to the church so we can continue doing what we do. Uh, And even though you have the right, we we have a budget that, uh, you know, you you can claim expenses that you use, uh, that you spend for for church, um, but most of you don't. You spend that money and you give it offering to the church and I'm sure many of you can testify to the generosity of brothers and sisters here who have given of themselves to serve you can I just thank you for that just thank you for giving and being generous 
But as we continue to move forward as a church, as we continue to move forward as the people of God, what barriers are there? What burdens do we place on others as we seek to serve them in this community? What do we need to change in our actions, our attitudes or our thoughts so that we're not a burden to other people, that we're not putting barriers to the gospel and stopping other people from hearing the gospel or encouraging one another as brothers and sisters in Christ? Any questions at this point? How does one serve sacrificially without burning out? Look after yourself. If you want to be serving and giving sacrificially, look after yourself. Because you can only serve, you can only give from the wealth that you have. That's the wealth of your time, the wealth of your gifts, the wealth of your health, and the health of your wealth. Now, there is a time and a place for sacrifice, but it starts with looking after yourself as a believer, as a disciple of Jesus. Because if you're not walking with Jesus, if you're not placing your priorities and your life under his authority and rule and lordship, honestly, you you can't serve anyone else. You can't serve people if you're not allowing yourself to be under the lordship of Christ. And so it starts with looking after yourself. It doesn't mean you have to be perfect. Let me make that that part clear. It doesn't mean that you have to have everything right and everything perfect, but that your life is orientated towards living for Jesus and giving your life to him. And when you do that, serving others sacrificially will come. I do want to say, and I just want to reinforce, there are times and time and a place where It will be a sacrifice. But it doesn't mean that it comes at the cost of your health or your sanity. You still need to ensure that in yourselves that you are healthy. Because if you crash and burn, then you become a burden, right? And that's what we're trying to avoid. We're avoiding becoming a burden to other people. And so we do everything we can with the capacity that God has given us, not what people expect of us, what God has given us to do that. And when we do sacrifice for him, he will bless that and will ensure that you continue to be sustained in whatever sacrifice you make. Any other questions? Yep. I don't think, I can't, nothing comes to mind, but Paul speaks of rest. He speaks um, of continually submitting to the Lord. Um, And so, I think Paul gives us an example where a life that is so geared around the purpose of God, his kingdom and his mission, sees God sustain them. And I think there's a deep truth there that a lot of us don't really know and understand. That Paul can go on so far because he's deeply reliant on God. Um, But I think when you look at the practicalities of Paul's life and ministry, he would have taken time off. 
he's a man of deep prayer. You read through his letters, he's a man of deep prayer. You can't be that kind of person and not take that time to rest. Um, I mean, he would have been travelling, there's time to rest. So, does there any, are there any indications that he burns out? I don't know. I don't want to make that a concrete statement. I don't know. Um, but from the way that he lives, at least from what we can see, it's hard to think that he would burn himself out. At least, yeah. He, he warns us um, to ensure that we're taking care of one another as well. Let me, let me actually add to that. Because it's not just Paul, it's Jesus. Jesus is our model. And Jesus rests. Jesus takes the time to rest. To, he, he escapes the crowds. He's, he escapes his ministry to that he has time with God, his Father, and to be rested and refreshed. And I think Paul would simply follow that model. Um, and I think that's the model that we follow. So let me say that. Any other questions? I like it when people ask questions. It makes things more interesting. You can ask me questions at any time, uh, before, after, through the week, doesn't matter. Uh, but let's continue. So what's the point of all this? Uh, what's the point of sharing the gospel to the point of sharing our own lives? Why do we want this heart of gentleness, affectionate love and compassion? What's the point of sacrifice and service? What's the point? Verse 11. For you know how like a father with children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. We saw last week in the, in the first uh, part of this chapter that there's no personal gain here for us. There's no personal gain to be uh, sought in sharing the gospel and living out the gospel life. But instead our efforts are directed to not being a burden to other people. So that why? That they might be encouraged, they may be exhorted in their walk with God. Now, for Paul and his, and his team, this isn't something that he just did up front on stage. But this is something that he did one-on-one. On one. Look at verse 12. We exhorted each one of you to walk in the manner worthy of God. This is a personal, individual, one-on-one on one process. It's not just something that happens up front once a week on a Sunday for however long I decide to talk. That's not where it happens. It happens one-to-one. And it's an ongoing process. Walking is not a quick process. If you want to get anywhere, walking is the last thing you want to do. You might run, you might ride a bike, you might even drive. You don't walk. No, the Christian life is a progressive journey. It's not something that happens overnight. And where we walk with Jesus, we walk with one another, we encourage people Step by step, day by day. We are walking as Christians through life. We're not running, we're not driving, we're not sprinting, we're not flying. We're walking. And that's slow. 
but it's also intentional. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us to pray, give us today our daily bread. In Hebrews, the writer says, exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This is a daily affair. This is a daily act. What does it look like to walk in a manner that is worthy of God? Paul prays for the Colossian church uh, and he writes these words in chapter 1, verse 9. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. He prays this. I pray that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, God's will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. To live a life pleasing to God, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing and growing in the knowledge of God. And this word knowledge is not merely stuff, information that you know, but it is a deep and personal knowledge of the person of God. The character and the heart of God And for us as Christians, we find that through the person of Jesus. Our relationship, our experience and our knowledge of who God is, is seen in the person of Jesus. Uh, Joseph starts prep next year. Uh, Nobody expects him to be able to read a book on day one. You go to school, you go to uni to be trained in a field of study. Even when you start a job in that field, nobody expects you to do everything on day one. I I should ask Grace to do my tax return for me. (laughs) Nobody expects that that would happen. Uh, a, A friend of mine is studying midwifery. And um, I, and uh, she recently had a placement. And uh, one day, uh, her supervis- supervising midwife uh, told her to get prepped for delivery. She completely freaked out. She's a student. She's there to, to get the um, different things that they need. She's not there to deliver a baby. She had no idea what to do, but she got told to get ready, and so she did. And once she was ready, the midwife came behind her, put her hands on her hands, and walked her through the whole delivery, showing her how much pressure to put, what different things meant, and she walked her through the whole delivery, and my friend delivered a baby as a student. How do we exhort and encourage each other in the gospel? We come alongside each other. We come alongside each other. And those who are more mature come alongside and we place our hands on others. And we walk together and guide each other through life. And that's why I said a couple of weeks ago, we need older people. We need mature people who are able to lead and to guide, to disciple us through life. And that's discipleship. Now there's different ways that can happen. You can 
read the Bible together. You can be sharing a coffee together. You can share life experiences together. Go play sport together. Whatever it is. Sending messages, phone calls, meals, social media. It doesn't matter. What matters is that you're sharing life together. Doing life together. And walking together with Jesus. When we don't have the answers, we can pray together and keep one another accountable. Praying for wisdom and discernment from a God who calls us into his own kingdom and glory. Paul writes here. Encouraging, supporting and keeping one another accountable so that you may not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This is why discipleship, this is why fellowship is so important. And if you're not in that kind of relationship with others, let me encourage you to consider it. Consider how you can be part of fellowship, intentional fellowship and discipleship. It's one of the things that we're trying to do, to have opportunities for each one of us to be in discipleship and deep intentional fellowship with one another. We're working on uh, our cell groups and how we can do that better. And we're going to start a new study in September. If you're not part of a cell group, think about joining one. If you can't make it to one, we're going to try and start a virtual one. If you can't do that, let's find some other way that you can be in discipleship and fellowship with other people. It might not even be here at church. It might be at your workplace, it might be at school or uni. But the most important thing that is you are in discipleship and fellowship with other believers. And if you're unsure, come and talk to me. Come to talk to our, the leaders. We want to ensure that we are a place where people are being discipled as disciples of Jesus. Uh, questions? Uh, questions at this point? I don't know if I've said it enough time. There's no such thing as a dumb question. Yeah. There's different discipleship relationships. Um, let me share some of mine. Um, at high school, I had uh, a guy who was in the year level above me. And we would just meet each week to, to um, just to chat. We had coffee um, and we would chat and we would pray, read the Bible together. Uh, at uni, I had um, a campus worker, a staff worker, um, who would meet with me each week and we would read the Bible and pray. Uh, and we also had um, Bible studies. We would do push-ups and do odd things. Um, I have uh, uh, an elderly couple. Uh, they're in Melbourne, so I don't see them, obviously, anymore. Um, but they're in their 70s. And I would meet with them and just talk through things that I was going through in life and learn from them. Um, I mean, at the moment, I, I've got another older guy, um, probably late 50s, 60s. I don't know exactly. I haven't asked him yet. Um, but we're just meeting for coffee and we just talk about things that are happening in life and how the gospel interacts and encourages us or challenges us to walk with Jesus. Um, discipleship can look, in, look like so many different things. 
But discipleship ultimately is about how do we become more like Jesus? And it might be, how do I become more like Jesus in my workplace? How do I become more like Jesus in my family as a parent, as a husband, as a wife? And so discipleship is about asking that question and finding people who can help you with that question. Um, One person isn't going to answer all those questions. But the important thing is that whatever you do as you come together, whether you're reading the Bible together, whether you're praying, reading a book, playing sport, eating too much food, spending late nights out when you should be at home studying, it doesn't matter. But whatever you're doing, that you're spending that time asking the question, how can I be more like Jesus? And it might be reading the Bible, it might be praying, it might just be talking and asking those questions. But at the end of the day, it's... How can I be more like Jesus? How can I be a disciple of Jesus? The second question, and I'm not going to really unpack it here, but then the second question that I do want to ask people is, who can you disciple? Right? I I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. It doesn't matter where you are in your journey of faith, you can be discipling someone else. There will always be someone for you to disciple. Does that answer your question? Whatever capacity you have, it doesn't. It and the frequency is up to whatever relationship you have. Uh, I have, I mean, right now I have a mentor that I meet with every two months, one that I meet with every six weeks, um, and I've got people uh, who are not physically here, um, and it's irregular. But whenever there is that relationship, whenever we come together that intention is there. That we are meeting not just to talk about random things, but we are going to talk about how can we be growing to be more like Jesus. Um, Alright? Again, if you have any more questions, please come and ask me. Um, Let's wrap up. So, what do we do with all of this? Imagine a church where people are gentle, compassionate, loving and serving each other and the people around them. Imagine a church that gives sacrificially for the sake of others. Imagine a church where people encourage each other to grow in their walk with Jesus. And I know that it's happening here. But how can we do it better? How can we build on what God is doing? How can we do that? How can we be the kind of church where we are gentle, compassionate and loving in our desire to see people come to Jesus? I want to suggest three things. Um, Developing and growing a heart of compassion. This compassion comes only from God and it is the work of God that grows this heart of compassion for other people. What can you do practically though? If you are genuine in seeking to grow in compassion for other people, if you are set to to pursue this practically, go out and see the world. Go out to the people on the street, go out to your local community, go out to the places where God takes you and see 
the compassion that God has for them. Because if you're waiting around and going, God, I need this heart of compassion and then I'll go, it's not going to happen. That's not how God works. God says, no, I am the God of compassion. I am the God of love. And I give you this heart. Now go. And so as you go, as you go out into the world, as you see people who are in need of the gospel, that's when God comes in and starts to shape your heart. Sitting around and waiting for that to happen won't do anything. It's the going out and seeing the brokenness of our world where God comes and begins to shape your heart. Whether it's going down into the streets of the city and seeing the homeless that are there. Whether it's walking down the street that you live on and seeing the neighbours that are there and seeing the, the situations and circumstances that they face. Whether it's going through uni and seeing the guy who's sitting all on his own. Whether it's taking the the time to get to know people at work because life stinks and they're going through a rough time and nobody else cares. It's going out into the world, seeing the people that God has compassion for and allowing him and trusting him to shape your heart. Secondly, think through the things that are causing barriers either to service or fellowship with other people. What are the things in your life, what are the things as a church that we do to put up barriers? And they may not be intentional. I don't want to guilt trip anyone here. But we need to be intentional about looking at what are the things that we have done, what barriers have we put up, What barriers do we have so that others don't have a chance to hear the gospel or that we don't have a chance to share life with other people? What are those barriers? It may not be intentional. It may be personal where you just feel like you've got nothing to give or you've got nothing to offer. Or God has something else to say about that. Maybe you feel that you're unequipped and so you can't go and do things. Well, go and be equipped. Maybe you feel like you just don't have the resources. Or let's work together to find those resources. Whatever those barriers are, we need to find them, identify them, and look at overcoming them. Uh, Lastly, commit. This This is where the rubber hits the road. Make time. This is where the sacrifice is. This is where the the cost is, this is where the inconvenience is. If you want to grow in your faith, if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, if you want to grow and encourage other people, it will cost something. It will cost your time and it will cost your energy and your effort. But when we give that to God, when we trust God with our time, with our talents, with our money, with our future, with our families. When we trust God with those things and we pursue him, he doesn't leave us out on the street. Jesus says the one who leaves mother and father, brother and sister, will be repaid a hundredfold. 
when we give, when we sacrifice for Jesus, he doesn't leave us without. He knows and he gives us what we need. And so if we want to pursue Jesus, if we want to pursue discipleship and fellowship with other people, it will cost something. I'm not going to lie about that. But there are blessings and joys that abound that we don't really I want us to be a church that goes out of our way to make the gospel accessible to people. A place where each person plays a part rather than just a few carrying the load. I want this to be a place where people are exhorted and encouraged in their faith daily. And that's going to be a journey of walking together so that we might live in a manner worthy of of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us. You loved us first and you gave your son Jesus to die on the cross. And because of that, we can go and to love others as you have loved us. And I pray that we would be a church that is known for this compassion and love for the people of this world. Father, help us in ourselves and as a church to examine where there are barriers and obstacles for people to to come and to meet Jesus, to hear the gospel and to share life with you. Help us to do that. Help us to examine ourselves. And help us to be a people that encourage one another, exhort one another, support one another daily as we walk with you so that we might walk in a manner that is worthy of you. And so, Father, we come and we commit these things to you and we ask that Holy Spirit in your grace, mercy and power work in us for the sake of your name. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.